Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 5. This is our CrossFit teaching series, Finding Wholeness in a Broken World. Leadership 101 is the title of this weekend's message. Can you believe it? Next weekend we will finish, finish up our teaching through 1 Peter. Amazing. We started Easter. We've been taking kind of a snail's pace through this book, and we'll be wrapping it up. We're going to talk about next week the art of war, talking about our adversary. And one of the ways that he trips us up is with anxiety. And so we'll be looking at that. So it's very appropriate that we would end this book on leadership and then kind of this warfare topic. Take a look at your notes, your sermon notes at the top of those, kind of part of the introduction. How many would like to win friends and influence people? Show of hands. I think we all would. And that's really what this is about when we talk about leadership. Leadership is about influence. Whether you are at the front or in the middle of the pack, everyone, everyone influences. I mean, you know that if you're in the middle of the pack, you can have a lot of influence on those that are around you. You know that. That's why I say that. Whether uh, you are a CEO, teacher, parent, or friend, you will lead. You will influence others either directly or indirectly for good or for bad. So let me ask you this. What kind of leader are you? You're an influencer. So what kind of influencer are you? After people hang out with you, do you repel them towards Christ or reach them? That's a pretty serious, uh, pretty serious question. And um, what kind of influencer are you? How are you influencing the people around you? Towards Christ, away from Christ? Really, really important. A lot of times people will uh, say, if I could just get Pastor Ray to sit down with my friends, I know that he could influence them towards Christ. And I always say, no, no, you're actually a greater influencer uh, of, uh, to them of Christ than what I am. Now, let me ask you this question, just to kind of clarify what I'm saying here. Uh, who has more influence, paid professionals or satisfied customers? Yell it out to me. Satisfied, satisfied customers. How many would say, show of hands, satisfied customer? Well, looks like most of us. How about paid professional? Anybody? Nobody. Nobody. So I'm the paid professional, you're the satisfied customer, okay? You actually have more influence in so many different ways. My job is to help you to see how much influence so that you become more and more of a satisfied customer so that when people look at your life, boy, you reach them for Christ. See, I, I am a paid professional, you're the satisfied customer. I get paid to be good, you are good for nothing. <laughs> Sorry. Don't, don't, don't laugh too much because uh, it just encourages me with these dumb jokes, okay? <laughs> Sorry. So, and it's so true. You, have, you don't have any idea. I mean, the more you understand, you have some phenomenal influence on people. It's that satisfied customer, being satisfied with all of who God is and what he's doing in your life. It's amazingly attractive. Now, the Bible also talks about the importance of this influence. I've got this on your notes. It's Matthew 18, 1 through 6. G, uh, the disciples came to Jesus on, a, on one occasion, many occasions, but this particular occasion, and they asked, well, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who's got the greatest 
impact and influence. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, a little child, bring a little child to me. This little child, unless you come to me as a little child, and he's really talking about this, this humility of a child, obviously not uh, childishness. We all know what childishness looks like. It's not good, but childlikeness is what he's talking about. This humility, this, this dependency, total dependency upon God. And the more you are totally dependent upon Christ, finding your deepest satisfaction in him, the more you're, you're like that little child and you're that satisfied customer that people look at your life and they want what you have. That's what he was saying. But then it's almost, I mean, he, he almost get, you know, takes the air right out of the room because at the end of this, not only he says that, everybody's going, wow, okay, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to be like a little child so I can enter into the kingdom of heaven, experience all that God has for me, find that deep satisfaction in him. Therefore, I can influence those around me. But then, then he takes the air out of the room by saying, oh, by the way, by the way, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble... You guys know where I'm going with that? It's pretty frightening. It's like the needle goes off the record at this time. Everybody's like, oh. Some of you don't even know what a record is, do you? <laughs> I probably shouldn't use that analogy. It's almost kind of like, Ooh. And he goes, and if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, if you influence them in such a way that would push them away from me, it would be better off for you to have a, a millstone a rope tied to a millstone around your neck and you're thrown into the deep sea. That's frightening. I mean, the disciples had to have gone, what? Yeah, this is how important it is. This is how important your influence is. And so you need to find your deepest satisfaction in him so you can influence people towards me. Otherwise, otherwise you'd be better off to have a millstone tied around your neck, which they'd caught, they would weigh 500 pounds or a ton or so. I mean, you're not swimming with that thing around you. Okay, there's no dog paddling with that. But uh, you're going right to the bottom. That's frightening. Have you ever thought of drowning? That's frightening. Serious stuff. Really serious stuff that we have to talk about this morning. And uh, it's interesting, our text really uses the metaphor of shepherding. One of the beautiful metaphors in the Bible for leadership, for influence, is shepherding. And we are to shepherd, influence others the way that God shepherds us. And so this morning I'd, I'd like to pray an assortment of verses based on this biblical metaphor of shepherding. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray before we dive into our text and unpack our notes. Let's pray. Father God, you sent your son Jesus to this earth and when he saw the crowds, he, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And as we look on the landscape of America and throughout this world, we see a lot of people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And yet, Jesus, you, you are the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We were all like sheep going astray, but now we have returned to you. Many of us have returned to you, the shepherd and overseer of our souls. You are our God. We are the people of your pasture, the flock under your care. You gather, you gather us, your lambs, into your arms and carry us close to your heart, gently leading us. And because you are our shepherd, we lack nothing. Teach us 
through the study of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit, how, how you shepherd us so that we can better shepherd the flock of God here at Desert Breeze and beyond. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text, wonderful text. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, so I exhort you elders among you. Stop there just for a minute. Notice he says elders, plural. So what we learn and what we see in Scripture is that the church is to be led by Jesus Christ through a plurality of leaders known as elders and deacons. And notice he also uses the word among you. We're gonna use, he's going to use that again here in just a moment, and we'll talk about that. And notice he says too, so, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, so I'm like you, this is Peter, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Can you imagine how he was disillusioned? The disciples were all disillusioned after they hung out with Jesus for three, three and a half years, and then they see him hanging on the cross. They were witnesses of him being murdered, all their hopes and dreams out the window. And yet when he resurrected from the grave, oh my goodness, and you get a little hint of this as well as partakers in the glory that is going to be revealed. They got a glimpse of that glory through the resurrection and they know that there's gonna be a future resurrection that we will all experience with the new heavens and the new earth. And that's a little bit of what he's talking about. So we're talking, you know, we're interacting here through this letter with someone who saw the resurrected Lord and Savior and was shepherded by him and now he's going to teach us how we can shepherd others, how we can influence others for our chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2. Shepherd the flock. So this is where he gives us the test. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And we'll talk about shepherding. And notice it's the flock of God. It's not my flock. It's not your flock. It's God's flock. That's pretty serious stuff. And notice he uses this word that is among you. We saw that in verse 1, among you. Nancy and I have some friends that live next door to us, and they, uh, they watch church on their computer. And uh, in our technologically advanced age, you can never even have to go to church. You can watch church on your computer or on TV. Let me ask you this. Is that, is that if you just, if that's all you did, would you say that that's healthy or un unhealthy? Yeah, it's, it's extremely unhealthy, actually. And they could get on their car and go to the church. They, they actually watch uh, Calvary Community Church down the street. It's a great church. And, but they, they just watch it, uh, watch it right there. And this is what's interesting about this text and about what the Bible teaches. Among you. He says, among you. Twice. This is talking about... Uh, this is talking about relationship, interaction, connection, community, camaraderie. We need that. There, there's no way you can grow spiritually apart from a deep involvement in a community of other believers. You need that. And so I like the advantage. I listen to a lot of different people online. Very seldom watch them online, but I'll listen, download it to my iPod. And, and I love that, and yet... There's greater need for me to be able to interact with others in a smaller group setting and then in this larger group setting. You can't live without that. That's what he's talking about here. Among you. And then he continues on and he talks about really um, who's among you exercising oversight and he gives the motives for this, not under compulsion, 
but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And then he says something really, really sweet here, uh, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears... He's talking about his second coming, when he comes back. He's gonna, he's gonna come back, and we will look into the eyes of our chief shepherd, our good shepherd, the one that would rather die than to live all eternity without us. Pretty amazing, and this is what he's saying. So and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Based on how you lived out your life, and you were that satisfied customer, and you attracted people to Christ, you're an influencer, you're an elder. By the way, that word elder means mature one, so it should be something that we all aspire to. We should all aspire to to maturity and to growth. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, both the, the title of that and the task of that, and that's, that's all important. But, uh, but growing and maturing, and then he says, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And then look at verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject. That's that word submission, submit. So you need to be in a place where you're able to submit to leaders. That's healthy. Subject to the elders. And then he says, be subject to the elders. Then he says, clothe yourselves, all of you. So this is not just for for elders, but also for the younger. So there, he's actually put two categories. You're either young or you're becoming that elder. You're mature in the faith. And we'll, we'll talk about what that is. But he says, you are to clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let me just talk very briefly about this idea of humility. The epitome, the essence of sin, the sinful nature, is pride. Pride is self-absorption, self-centeredness. It's very much promoted in our American culture to make life all about, about me. And what he's saying is clothe yourself with, with humility. And, and that would be the, uh, the remedy for our pride would be humility. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's a blessed self-forgetfulness. Now, why would you have this blessed self-forgetfulness? Um, and why is that necessary? Because self-centeredness and self-absorption makes everything a means to, to an end. It would even make your leadership, that when you are leading a, maybe a small group or a ministry or you're involved, you would tend to, you know, you're going to influence them, but you're going to influence them so you can feel better about yourself. It's not about you. It's about God and his glory. And that's what self-absorption does and self-centeredness does. And so how do you get this humility? Nothing will knock will knock you out of your self-absorption. Let me define self-absorption here. It's the endless, unsmiling concentration on self. This endless, this, this unending, unsmiling concentration on self. That's self-absorption. And nothing will knock you out of your self-absorption like an experience of the beauty and the glory of Christ, our chief shepherd. The more you get to know him, the less life will be about you and the more life will be about him. And oh my goodness, that's a wonderful place to live. And so you can kind of see, 
you know, that would really speak of this humility of a child entering into the kingdom, experiencing all that he has for you. Now you're not going to be preoccupied with you. You're looking around and being concerned about those around you because you want them to experience what you're experiencing. See, that's, that's what he's talking about here. Leaders are other-centered, so elders would be other-centered because they already have their treasure. They know the chief shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I, contentment, they have contentment, and therefore, they're wanting everybody to experience the contentment in him. They're the satisfied customers. They're putting that on display. Now, okay, let's unpack the notes here. Uh, you guys tracking with me on that? And that's, that's important. That's, that's critical to our understanding. We live in a very self-absorbed world. Pride and uh, humility is what deals with that, and, and that humility only comes as I am captivated by the beauty and the glory of Christ. So now we've got the task. We'll look at the task of this shepherding, the motives, and then the reward. Actually, it should be probably titled award would be a better word for that. But this, that's fine. So task, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. Now let's take a journey to see the mounting force of this metaphor shepherding throughout scripture. I put these on your notes. Let's walk through this very quickly. Genesis 48, 15, Jacob identifies God as his shepherd. You see that throughout the Old Testament. And then Psalm 23, 1, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall what? I shall not want contentment. 2 Samuel 5, David is called to shepherd the nation of Israel. Jeremiah 3.15, the prophet says, repent and I will give you a shepherd after my own heart. And then centuries pass and then you got John 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then you've got Jesus interacting with Peter. Remember after Jesus was resurrected, Peter denied Christ three times and he comes to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Does that three times? And, And Peter says, yes, I do. And Peter, and then he, then he says to him, then feed my sheep, feed my sheep. So throughout the redemptive, throughout redemptive history, God has been gathering a people for himself that he will shepherd and care for, and one day they will dwell with him for all eternity. That's what the Bible basically teaches us, and the elders, the more mature ones, are the inheritors of the shepherding function of God himself where it finds its highest expression in the Savior himself who is called the chief shepherd. So Peter's reminding us here of our place in redemptive history. We leaders, so this is something that we should all aspire to, influence, I want to influence others for Christ, satisfied customer. We leaders have the astounding privilege of serving the people who have been bought at the highest price imaginable in the universe. Now think about that. We have been given the, the responsibility of shepherding and caring for the flock. If you're mature, so he's saying elders among you, He's talking about those that are maturing and growing. Start looking out for those that are young in the faith and help them to see me more clearly. That's, that's the idea. It's almost as if it would be like President Obama calling me and asking Nancy and I to look after him and Michelle's two daughters until he finishes up his last term here. Wouldn't that be crazy? They'd probably send Secret Service along with them. But that's nothing. That's really nothing to, compared to the responsibility that we have. 
to never be taken lightly that young believers, that we, would be, that we would be influential in their life to help them to see Christ more clearly, that we would be kind of a stepping stone rather than a stumbling block. We wouldn't repel them. We would reach them for Jesus and point, point to, to him. Let me give you some fill in the blanks. So sheep for whom the chief shepherd died is an amazing identity like no other. So if you're part of this flock, that's pretty amazing. I mean, that's just... Unbelievable. John 10, Jesus talks about this using this metaphor. John 10, 3, he says, the sheep hear his voice, the good shepherd, and he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4, the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So you know that you're sheep of this flock, God's flock, because you're, you're, you're learning to hear his voice and you're following him. Verse 5, John 10 they will not follow the voice of a stranger. So you're able to distinguish his voice from a stranger. A lot of stranger voices in our day and time, but they know his voice. So how do I know that I'm part of his flock? Well, you know that because you're beginning to become more and more familiar with his voice. He's called you by name. But here's how you kind of, uh, this is initiated in your life. Do you want him? Do you have the slightest inclination in your heart to, to desire him and want him and want him to be your good shepherd, chief shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If there's something in your heart that draws you to that, as we talk here on weekend services, then he wanted you first. You want him only because he wants you. You can't want him by yourself. It's only because he's wanting you. He's drawing your heart to him. It's pretty fascinating, pretty amazing. If there's anything that I say up here and it draws your heart and you're like intrigued and you're kind of like, wow, I, yeah, I, I want that. That's him working in your life. And that's part of it. Here's the next point on your notes. Sheep without a healthy flock, that is a local church, will be devoured. That's a fact. And I won't do the survey. I've done it here many times before. And uh, I've had most of you raise your hand. You know people who are Christians who are not connected to a local church family. And, and I'm, I'm sure that they could probably be, be Christians, but guess what? They're going to get devoured just a matter of time. I see it all the time. Believe me, I see it all the time. People that are not connected to a local church family. They get taken out. And we know this from the context because he says in verse 1, so, so I exhort the elders among you among you. So there's that sense of community. The so there is therefore, literary context is what we talked about last week, fiery trials. It's the theme of this letter. You're going to get taken out by a fiery trial if you're not within a flock being cared for by under shepherds, under the chief shepherd and along with other sheep. You desperately need that. The Bible makes that clear. But in our um, individualistic society today, we, we think, hey, I can watch it on the screen. I can watch it on TV. I don't need that. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're going to crash and burn, and you're going to be devoured. Not only that, next week we're going to talk about this, the art of war, and in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, what does it talk about there? If you have your Bibles open, look down. What is it saying? It's talking about the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's coming after you. He might already have you. We need the protection of under-shepherds and other sheep that are going to be with us to help us. And that's part of that. So sheep without a healthy flock, local church will be 
devoured. So let me define a healthy church because when you're looking for a church, you want to know that it's healthy. And this is what I often tell people. As you look at their statement of faith, what is their statement of faith? What do they believe? And you almost really have to hang out with them for a while because I was involved in a church a number of years ago and I looked at their statement of faith and what they classified as discipleship was actually not what I would classify as discipleship. It wasn't biblically uh, discipleship. It was more heavy-handed authoritarianism. We're going to boss these people around. We're going to tell them how to live their life. It's like, what? Time out. That's not discipleship. It's very cult-like, very unhealthy environment. But I didn't know that until I got involved because I, I read their statement of faith. It all looked good. But then when you start getting involved, you begin to go, wow, you, the way that you guys apply these things are a little bit different than what I think the Bible would have us do. So you look at the statement of faith. You look at their, uh, you look at their, uh, their strategy, but you also look at their, first of all, you look at their structure. You've got statement of faith. You can look at their structure. You look at their, their government. How are they, how are they led do they have healthy leaders that fit the qualifications for leadership? And I put those on your notes there, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and 1 Peter 5. That's what we're reading right now. So there are qualifications of leadership. By the way, any church, any family, any organization, any team rises or falls on leadership. And the quality of that leadership is determined by the qualifications. And so, so do they have qualified leaders? Is it a plurality of leadership? I oftentimes have gone to churches that are CEO-run churches, and, they, and I've actually seen guys where they'll draw around them a lot of yes guys. It's extremely unhealthy. So the Bible really talks about this, this plurality of leadership and, and this eldership and understanding what that is. So you look at the statement of faith, you look at their... Uh, structure, and I'll talk a little bit more about structure, and then you look at their strategy. Are they just attracting a crowd, or are they really, really making disciples? When you come to Desert Breeze, are you really, truly encountering Jesus, and is your life changing as a result of that? And you're hanging out with other Christians that stir that, that up within you so that you're becoming more and more of a satisfied customer in time. And that's important. You kind of look at their whole discipleship process. And then the last one would be style. And a lot of times I'll ask people, why do you go to that church? Typically, the first thing they go to, well, I like the music. Or the pastor, he tells some really good stories, or this or that. It's like, what? That's like the lowest on the list. What's their statement of faith? What's their stru uh, structure? What's their strategy? Are you encountering Jesus here? So that's what you're looking for in a healthy church. Let me talk to you a little bit of, uh, more about our leadership here, and I'll introduce to you some of our elders. And uh, I'm just blown away at uh, the health of, of Desert Breeze. This is the healthiest we've ever been in our history and it's, it's been a lot of work and a lot of toil by God's grace to get to this place. But uh, we have six elders, actually seven, I'm one. And when we have our elder meetings, uh, we have eight that attend. Scott's uh, not an elder, but he comes and gives a report. He's our executive pastor. I'm first among equals as the founding pastor. But these six guys can fire me. And I love that. And that's really needed there's an accountability. There's a diversity within this leadership. In fact, let me just give you their names. I don't think, I know that Don Miles is right over here somewhere. Don, why don't you stand just uh, for a moment? Uh, I'll go through the names, and if they're here, they can just stand up right where they are. So our elder board is Matt Trusella, Don Miles, Brian Newsom, Daryl Miller, Dan Finman, and Rich Wilson, and then myself. I think he's the only one that's here. Most of them were here last night. When I looked over that group, I almost just wanted to start crying because I just love serving with these guys. You can go ahead and be seated. Thanks, Don. I mean, I just love these guys. 
They don't get paid for what they do, and they put in a lot of hours. We have meetings that, on Wednesday nights. Yeah, let's give them a hand. Praise God. I'm the only paid dude, but the reason why you don't have guys that are paid on the elder board, uh, because there won't be that conflict of interest, you know, with raises and, and all of that other stuff. That, that just doesn't come into the, this isn't even factored in. So that's why I say really healthy, healthy group of guys. And this is what I see about them. They love Jesus. There's no pettiness. They know the shepherd and they love the sheep here. They absolutely love it. And the, the success that we've seen here getting into our new facility, all of the stuff that we've seen happen and the futures never look brighter. Uh, and a lot of it is just good, solid leadership. But, but that's not the only kind of leadership that we have here. They have that title of elder and they perform the task. You guys know the difference between title and task? You can have the title and not really be performing the task of shepherding. I was a part of some churches where they had some guys that had the title. They weren't shepherding. They weren't shepherds. That's messed up. That's a messed up church. Why would you give this guy the job? Well, he's got a lot of money. What? He's not a shepherd. He doesn't give a rip about these people. And I, you know, and I find it interesting, and that's the reason why sometimes the church can really get a bad rap and, you know, for, for good reason, because the, the, the leaders do some really messed up things sometimes. And we really want to live according to God's word and that's so critical. But, uh, but these guys love Jesus. They love this flock. I, I mean, and it's so, so important that you have that. So you got the task and you got the title. And yet we've got many people here that perform the task of eldership. As I look over this group here, there's many. So we got small group leaders that would be elders. We've got ministry leaders that would be elders. And then we've got many, many elders, mature ones within the pack that that nurture and love and support and, oh my goodness, we couldn't do it without you. In fact, this is, this is, what, this is what everyone should aspire to, that where you'd be in a small group. You might not be leading a small group, but man, you, you influence people towards Jesus by your being there and encouraging the leader and supporting them and, and being a part of what God is doing there. And, uh, and that's, that's really, really important. So whether you have the, the title or not, you can perform the task. It's just shepherding. It's loving. It's influencing. It's being that satisfied customer and pointing to the chief shepherd. Hey, man, come on. Let me help you. Let me walk you. Oh, yeah, I struggle with that. I still do in some ways, but this is what I've been able to accomplish and what I've been able to experience. Praise God. That, that's, that's eldership. That's eldership. So, okay, let me give you, uh, let me give you another fill in the blank here. Let's move on to the next so sheep need help to find their contentment in the chief shepherd. This is all part of the task. Now let me ask you this. You can, yell, you can answer out loud. Is the characterization of us as sheep from the Bible, for the most part, a positive or negative metaphor? Yell it out to me. What do you think? Okay, how many would say positive? 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 Okay, not very many. Negative. So most of you say negative, negative. And actually, it's positive in the fact that he's our chief shepherd, but it's pretty negative because we're sheep. <sighs> we're sheep. Because you guys have heard me say this before. I think I did it in a series uh, earlier, but let me say it again. Let me kind of walk through the characteristics of sheep. It says in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have done what? Oh, yes, you know that. Gone astray. Sheep, sheep are dumb, defenseless, diseased, and dirty animals that need to be led, protected, cared for, fed, and watered. Otherwise, they will die. That's a fact. 
Shepherding is a full-time job because sheep are terribly, so terribly needed. So let me kind of walk through this. Um, you've heard this before. So in fact, you can get a lot of this even more so in detail from a shepherd looks at the 23rd Psalm, Philip Keller, but he goes in there and talks about how sheep are dumb. You know, when you look at 23rd Psalm, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Why is that? Because sheep are anxiously stressed out, driven animals. We have to be made, down, made to lie down. In fact, what's interesting is that they will eat grass down to the dirt and then begin eating the dirt. Isn't that crazy? He leads me beside the quiet waters. Why quiet waters? Because they need to have fresh water, but it can't be, can't be loud water. Got to be quiet water because they are so easily frightened by the sound of rushing water that they will die of thirst before approaching it. They're just easily freaked out. By the way, these, these have spiritual parallels to our lives. That's why the Bible calls us sheep. In fact, what's interesting is if one sheep goes off the cliff, what will happen? All 99 of them will follow, almost as if they're saying, that doesn't look so bad. <laughs> Sorry, that was bad, okay. They're defenseless. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Sheep have no defense against predators. I mean, have you ever heard of a sports team with the mascot fighting sheep? <laughs> now, they define the term dead meat, literally. They don't have any claws. They don't have teeth. They just, you know, like sheep led to the slaughter. You ever heard that term? Yeah. That's why the Bible refers to us as sheep. And, uh, and then they're diseased. He anoints my head with oil. They lack any self-preservation self -pres instinct. When injured, they're prone to give up. They just want to quit. The irritation of flies around their face can drive them to beat their heads against rocks, trees, posts, until they kill themselves. They're dirty. Their skin produces a lanolin, an oily substance causing almost everything to stick to them, weeds and dirt and feces. They need regular cleansing. You lead me in the paths of righteousness for your namesake. So I, I think you're getting the point, okay? And that's us. That's us. So I want you to do this real quick. Turn to the folks around you, and I want you to discuss this. What are the signs of contentment? Because he's our, our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. If that's true... What does contentment look like in your life, and how do you make that connection? Because I know too often, I, I would say that he's my shepherd, and I'm not living in contentment. So how do I make that connection? So what is contentment? How do you make the connection? Discuss it real quick, and then we'll talk about it. Okay, you guys coming up with some good answers? Okay, you guys awake? Okay, contentment. What is contentment? Yell it out to me. What would you think is contentment? Peace, peace, love, yeah, that's great. Peace, love, and groovy vibes. Lack of stress. Lack of stress. Yeah, you're not stressed out? Satisfied. Satisfied. Yeah, those are all great. So how do you get that? Because it's available. It's available. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So how do you do that? Here's what I wrote down here. To know him is to trust him. It's really a failure to really trust him. We're not trusting him. But you, the more you get to know the chief shepherd, the more you're going to trust him. The more you trust him, the more you're going to experience contentment. So the key to contentment is trusting him. What does that mean? How do I do that? You do that through getting to know him through his word and prayer. The prayer is, prayer is what makes his promises real to your heart. So you pray and you connect with him because 
Yeah, I know this, but I don't know it here. I know it here. I don't know it here. I need to drive it deep in my heart. I need those times. I need people to come around me, other sheep to remind me of this. I need under shepherds, under the chief shepherd to come along and tell me, point me to him. That's all part of it. So to know him is to trust him. To trust him is to find contentment in him and to find contentment in him. And this is what you're going to find interesting about a truly humble person. I gave you some kind of a definition of humble people, but when you walk away from a hum humble person or you encounter a humble person, this is what you're going to discover with a humble person and that they are totally dependent upon Christ. They look to him and they're beginning to understand and live out of this reality that he's their chief shepherd, but they're going to be very, very happy people, very contented people. And not only that, uh, they're going to have an incredible interest in you. That's a humble person. Because why? They're not self-absorbed. They find rest and contentment in the chief shepherd. So therefore, they have their treasure. They're going to want to help you find yours. That make sense? So there's that contentment. That contentment in humility, that satisfied customer, that satisfied, that child, total dependence upon God, experiencing all that he has for me. Now, what are the motives? This is easy to go through. He spells them out for us. Our heart motives matter to God, so the task is sacred and temptations are subtle and serious. Our manner and motive in ministry must be pleasing to the chief shepherd. There's three contrasts that he gives us in verses two through three. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So it's not have to, but want to. By the way, there have been certainly times that as I've ministered to people going to the hospital or whatever, and I, I know that I have to, but in the process of doing the have to, it becomes a want to. Has anybody ever experienced that before? As you get busy and you go in there and then God shows up and begins to minister t through you? Pretty amazing. But what he's really dealing with here is making a distinction between common virtue, which would be fear and pride motivation, versus true virtue, which is a heart captivated by the chief shepherd. It's just you just love him and you want them to know his love. That's the best way to prepare is just to minister to someone. I love you, you love me, Jesus, so help me to show your love to them. That's it. Pretty simple. And... Uh, as, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, love, the love of Christ constrains me. So it's this want to, this desire. Here's the next thing, is that it's not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So it's not to get, but to give. So leaders are other-centered because they already have their treasure, as I've stated, and they're living in the realization that he sacrificed, the chief shepherd sacrificed to give me life. Therefore, I become more conscientious of the needs of people around me, and I'm willing to sacrifice so that they can find the life that I have in the chief shepherd. That's part of it. So it's not to get, it's to give. It's always about the sheep, never about the shepherd. Shepherds must be willing to be misunderstood. That happens a lot. Uh, they must be willing to adapt to the limitations of their sheep. Shepherds are, are unwilling to let one sheep destroy the whole flock. Let me ask you teachers out there. Teachers, can one kid kill a class? Oh, yeah. So what do you do with that one kid? You deal with him. You don't let him kill the class. You can have one person in a small group, and they can kill the whole small group. So a shepherd deals with that. They take care of them. They lovingly correct them. And uh, you can have one kid kill a family. And you can't let them do that. And so shepherds know how to care for them and take care of them and work with them. And there's a major difference between being a shepherd and a mercenary and, uh, 
And a mercenary, I'm saying a hired hand. Listen to these words from our Savior, our good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand. Now, here's the difference. This is what you're looking for in people that are mature. I've been around people that said they were mature, but they really weren't. We've had, you know, in our history here at Desert Breeze, have had some hired hands come in here. And, and this, is, this is what you're going to see in their response. We've had some really great shepherds that have come in here and, and have also moved on. But this is what you're going to see. Here's the distinctiveness, is that he who is a hired hand and not the shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He doesn't give a rip about the sheep. When the going gets tough, they're out of there. I mean, you get a little bit of conflict, they're not willing to deal with it. I'm gone. Oh, you're not going to treat me right? I'm going to go find another church. See, that's a, hired, uh, that's a hired hand. And so he makes that uh, really important. Now, let me ask you this. Our chief shepherd laid down his life for the sheep, and that's really important. Would anybody here be willing to die for their pet? Because when you talk about shepherding and sheep, most of us aren't really in touch with that, but we know pets, especially in America today, we take care of our pets, but would any of you be willing to die for your pet? Maybe for a dog, but certainly not for a cat. Any cat lovers? Sorry. Listen, we had a brown lab, her name was Brownie. Very creative name. And, uh, I love Brownie dearly, but if she ran out in the traffic, I'm not throwing my body out in front of that car to save her life. Would you? No. No. And yet our chief shepherd, if you think that's crazy, someone would lay down their life for their pet, nothing compared to our chief shepherd, the God of the galaxies, came to this earth and died for us. If that... If that doesn't overwhelm you, you don't understand the implications of that. See, that's what, that's what drives me. Oh my goodness, I am in love with our chief shepherd. I love the fact that I can find contentment in him regardless of what's going on in my life. I'm not always living there, but boy, I want to more and more. And I want to help as many people as I can to see the chief shepherd, to know him and to experience him. And that's all, that's part of that. And uh, that's important. So it's, here's the third, third contrast. is not domineering over, over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So it's not telling them, but it's showing them. That's real critical. You guys like being around bossy people? Some of you probably work in places where they're real bossy. You know, but that's not leadership. Leadership is about serving. Leadership is about, hey, follow me. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you how this, how this works. And by the way, beware of this codependency. And he's not talking, when he talks about domineering, he's not talking about controlling, uh, controlling people, having a bunch of compliant people underneath them. That's not what he's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's what he is talking about. Don't do that. That's unhealthy. There's an unhealthiness in, in this lie that says, I need this person to be complete or if this person needs me, I'll be complete. Sometimes I've seen that dynamic work out in leadership. It's extremely unhealthy. And so leaders don't have that codependency. They just, they, their completeness is in the shepherd, and they're just saying, hey, follow me. Follow me. By the way, I heard the story 
of a family that uh, were, they were touring the Holy Land and they went on the outskirts of the town and they saw some shepherds there, but they, what they thought was a shepherd, this guy was beating the sheep and driving the sheep and they said to the guide, hey, we thought shepherds lead their sheep. And the guide said, yeah, they do. What about this guy? And the guy said, well, that's not a shepherd. He's the butcher. <laughs> so shepherds lead. They don't drive. Parents lead. They don't drive. Coaches lead. They don't beat them. I think he's giving us some really great leadership principles here. I think it's real important. And by the way, parents, listen, more things are caught than taught. Did you know that? In your home? You can talk until you're blue in the face, but they're going to become like you. Oh, that's scary. And you know what? Lots of times I've seen parents say, hey, we're going to get our kids to church, but where are you? You need to be in church just as much as your kids need to be in church. Parents, live like you want your kids to live. That's what he's saying. And leaders need to do the same. This is what I, oftentimes when I sit down with people and talk with them, this is one of their biggest struggles is their family of origin. I always go back to their family of origin and they're jacked up in direct proportion to how jacked up their family of origin was. And, and, and the reason for that is because there's this, there's this homing instinct in all of us. We tend to always go back to that which is most familiar to us, even if it's dysfunctional. That's called family of origin. And it's because parents told me this one thing, but they were something altogether different and I became the something altogether different. And so if you want healthy kids, you've got to be a healthy parent. And there's no guarantee with that either. But you need to be healthy just for the sake that you want to honor God and live for him. And that's, that's really important. Luke 6, 39 through 40, students become like their teachers. So parents, teachers, coaches will get what you are, not what you want. Let me ask you this question. We're almost finished. We'll knock out the rest of it very quickly, and then we're going to take communion this morning. But who has been, who were the greatest influencers in your life? towards Christ who's influenced you there's many people that have influenced me towards Christ I'm the product of many many people but there's one that stands out there's my grand, grandpa Ray Ford <clears throat> I can almost not even say it without crying he passed away when I was 12. And he was a man's man that took me hunting and fishing. And he was a humble, confident man. He was a jolly man who was happy, happy in the Lord. And yet he was really, really interested in me. He took me hunting and fishing and I saw this man love Jesus. I saw him love his wife, his bride, my grandma. I'm just a little kid. He'd get up early in the morning and drink his coffee. That's probably why I like coffee, huh? He'd drink coffee and read his Bible and pour his heart out to God. I saw that as a kid. He had an amazing impact on my life. He was a pastor. And to this day, to this day, he continues to influence me. He passed away when I was 12. What amazing influence that was on my life. 
And, and some of me being a pastor goes back to those early years, those formative years of what he did in my life. Who has influenced you? Now check this out. Here's the reward. An eternal perspective. Verses four through five. We've all received awards, medals, trophies, plaques, plaques that we would probably be hard-pressed to find now, hidden away in a closet or attic somewhere. All those times pass so rapidly. They're so fleeting. And uh, we can't even remember last year's winners and champions of a lot of the major leagues, you know, when, when you really look at that. And it's, uh, it's a moment, and it's gone, and that's how it is. But can you imagine what it would be like to be honored with, with an honor that would last forever? That's what he says. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. See, that's a... That's a crown that will last forever. That is what an unfading crown of glory is. It is an award ceremony that never ends. It's a crown that never loses its luster. It's an honor that is beyond all honors. It is a, a receiving of the crown of glory from the one who wore a crown of thorns for you and I. And here's, here's what keeps me wanting to continue to be the kind of under-shepherd that he's called me to be. Here's the next last two points. We must never forget that we are more fundamentally sheep than we are shepherds. My call as a shepherd is a temporary call. Last point, I will lead by example if I live aware that I am a needy and loved sheep that the chief shepherd has died for and will reward in the future. You can best give to others the very thing that you are receiving and living. Let's pray. God, uh, as we prepare our hearts now for communion, um, because you are our shepherd, we will lack nothing. That there is, there is no sin that we have committed or sin that has been committed against us is a match for your redeeming, restoring grace. We thank you for that. So as we take these communion elements this morning, may we be reminded of that. May we find our contentment in you. May we be satisfied customers that continue to live our lives in such a way that we would lead, that we would influence others towards you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said...